It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Bracha, coming at you. And we're going to break down last weekend's UFC on ABC2, Vittori versus Holland. We're going to talk about all of the results there. And, of course, we're going to break down the upcoming card where Robert Whitaker faces off with Kelvin Gastelum, a top middleweight bout, Nikolai. Uh, it seems like two middleweight fights in a row headlining Nick, and there's a good chance that the winner of one of these two fights is going to end up fighting Israel Adesanya for that title. New fresh blood. It's good to talk about, especially in a, after a week in which we saw Demetrius Johnson get KO'd. Eddie Alvarez oh get disqualified on a sketchy DQ. And Lyoto Mishida look great for about a round and a half and then just get mauled by Ryan Bader for the subsequent three and a half rounds. Um, so depressing, uh, depressing week and change for legends. But, for the uh, old some, school, yeah. For the old school, but some cool stories on up-and-comers, uh, starting with UFC on ABC2, Vittori versus Holland. We had uh, that main event went... More or less the way that we thought it would, right, Stan? Uh, Vittori yeah. was, um, he he went with what was going to work. He went with the game plan that Brunson laid down. His offensive wrestling is strong. He's a big, tough, durable guy. And uh, mostly was able to stay out of trouble. He ate some shots, um, but he was never really uh, in dangerous trouble because he could, um, he wasn't getting sprawled. At the same time, if you were to ask me if it, if it was Vittori's sharpest performance, I'd probably say no because it it seemed that a lot of his striking defense uh, was blocking Holland's shots with his face, and I felt like in Adis- against Adesanya, um, against Hermanson, and other fights, he's uh, he's been a little bouncier on his feet and had better footwork and maybe a bit better head movement. Um, he seemed. He did seem pretty hittable. I know Holland's fast. I know he's got magic hands. But if you're going to go in and fight Israel Adesanya, your your approach cannot be to wrestle offensively while blocking punches with your face. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it does seem like Holland's speed standing. And I think there's also something to be said about the mindset shift, right? Where, and uh, you know, when when going with uh, a really good boxer, and I realize that, for example, I can take him into the clinch and abuse him and do whatever I want to him. I realize that what happens is once I realize the clinch is such an easy path for me to take, my stand-up suffers because my mindset is really toward that clinch. So suddenly, on the way into the clinch, I'm taking more shots than I would have otherwise in that circumstance. And I can see that kind of being the case there, where uh, Vittori knew, like, look, there's no reason to keep striking. It's not like I even have to set up a takedown. This guy is not going to sprawl, really. All I got to do is go for it, and I'm going to bring him down. And so he was kind of taking that kind of mindset. It's not going to be the same with Israel Adesanya in a few different ways. One is that Adesanya is not nearly as dangerous at a distance with his punches. He's dangerous with his kicks at a distance, right? But he's dangerous on the counter when you're coming in at him uh, on his back foot with almost those kind of short counter hooks. So definitely a different style matchup, but I agree with you, right? These are tall, rangy strikers. Uh, We've spoken about the cup couple of things in common that uh kevin holland has with adesanya so i would say a decent practice round for vittori but i think the till fight would have been more intriguing because yes. Till's takedown defense is a little bit better i think he's a little bit more athletic overall and till is more tricky standing up even though he's not very busy yes he hi- he can he can hide his kicks 
it, it did seem like Vittori could just get takedowns at will. It just seemed Absol- like absolutely every he was, time he, he wanted mauled, it. He just mauled him. Vittori is a is he's a big, strong, durable guy. Uh, I'm ha- I think he's you know I think he's the kind of rising star the middleweight division uh, could use. I mean he's he's fresh blood and he's legit. Um, he's been around for a, he's been around for a few years. He wasn't as active as he is as he's being right now. Um, but t- you know tough t- tough and talented guy. I think. Uh, I think the sky's the limit. I, th- I think what's most likely is we're going to see him fight the winner of this Whitaker Gastelum uh, bout that we'll be talking about oh, really? in just a little bit. So yeah, you he's think not he getting the no winner t- of this bout, and Adesanya is not defending anytime soon, right? Uh, I think Adesanya waits for the winner for the the winner of that bout. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I I think that uh, either Whitaker or Vittori can make a strong claim for a title shot if Adesanya is open to fighting soon. I I, I don't know. I'd be somewhat surprised if Adesanya was like, you know what, I'm going to let this taste of a loss hang out for you know six or eight months and just uh, keep on waiting for my uh, opportunity about, to defend it's the about belt. Mar- it's about marketing, Stan. I mean, listen here. Yeah. This, and, and you're right in that what happens this weekend if it's a if it's a boring decision where both guys don't look particularly scary. Um, right. then maybe, th- maybe they wait. I don't, I just mm-hmm. don't think that Vittori, I don't think that Vittori's highlight reel is sexy enough to promote, uh, quite yet. Yeah. I think he would very much feel like an opponent. Um, if I could see a, but Gass, I could also if, see the UFC selling this as like a fight between Adesanya and the opponent with which he had the toughest, closest fight at middleweight. I have a feeling that whoever wins, uh, that the, either way, that the result of this week's battle will be more spectacular than what Vittori was uh, able to do. Doesn't make him wrong for doing it. Um, yeah. He's fighting a guy that was ranked 10. You know, he's ranked 5 or 6 or whatever. Um, but it's just a tough, tough to market an Italian guy who's who doesn't have a lot of highlight reels and has only fought, you know, a half a dozen times over the last, uh, you know, over the last five years. Yeah, and the thing about Vittori is I think he's got a lot of intangibles. He seems athletic. He's relatively fast. Uh, not the fastest in middleweight. He seems to have power, but he's doesn't, strong. Really, doesn't really finish guys. He's very physically strong, good wrestling, good top position grappling. But the thing is that he doesn't really have that killer instinct, right? It's not dangerous to fight him. You're not going to just – you're not going to be a different person after losing to Marvin Vittori in all likelihood, right? He's not going to change your outlook on life and your outlook on your career – but he could win a decisive decision over you by doing the right things and not necessarily putting himself at a whole lot of risk. And so I think that lack of danger is what might hurt him in future matchups because, like, as much as he's an intimidating guy, like, he just seems like he's constantly angry and just constantly about to explode, he does seem pretty focused when he's in that fight, right? He he doesn't lose his temper uh, in the fight as he does seemingly in every goddamn interview that he ever does. So so th- there is this weird kind of dynamic with him, but that lack of killer instinct I think is going to, I think hurts him in at least the eyes of his opponents. And you're right, in the highlight reel, it doesn't do a whole lot for that either. I know he got a knockdown in his last bout uh, against um, Jack Hermanson, but you know, he would need something somewhat spectacular here. And the only way I think that he's likely to get that title shot is if he really calls out Adesanya with gusto the way Nate Diaz did to, did to Conor McGregor years ago. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think the results of this fight uh, all depends on it as well. And here's the tricky thing. If Gastelum wins, I think it's very likely that uh, unless Gastelum wins in spectacular fashion, in which case they're certainly going to sell that fight, there's no way that Gastelum and Vittori, who are training partners, are going to fight each other. Oh, so, I forgot they were training partners. Sorry. Right, yeah. so and if Gaslam can do it impressively, 
he's probably getting that title shot based on that highlight reel of having beaten the former champion. If Whitaker gets that win, then the sale is there, right? Like Whitaker lost his title, came back and won three in a row over top contenders, uh, looked good doing it, etc. Like th- th- there's a th- there's a sale pitch for every one of these situations. But I feel like something about Vittori not having fought Adesanya for as long as he did, something about Vittori never being dominated by Adesanya at any point in that fight, whereas you can't really say that about most of Correct. Adesanya's opponents. Correct. Um, I, I, th- I think that might be... That could very well be the case, especially since Vittori still asked for that matchup. But uh, we're going to see how all of that shakes out. And obviously, this main event will play a factor into it as well. In the co-main event, Nick, this was the fight that you and I were both looking forward to the most. Arnold Allen versus Sadiq Youssef. You actually had some confidence in Youssef, and I had some trepidation, even though I did pick him. Uh, I I knew that Arnold Allen's southpaw game, his left hand, was going to be a real issue. And Arnold Allen was able to knock him down twice in that first and second round, one time each. And it seemed to me like, for the most part, Yusuf was edging him ever so slightly if it wasn't for those knockdowns. But the fact that Yusuf was either knocked down or dazed badly by that head kick or by that left hand, uh, you know, it's it's a no-brainer. you got to give Arnold Allen the first two rounds. But it was good to see Yusuf come on strong in that third. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, you, you know, Yusuf's got, got a little bit of work to do. And um, and Allen was just Allen was a bit was a bit craftier. He's a bit craftier, and he, he throws he he mixes up his speeds, uh, the speeds of his shots. He faints, um, and he just you know he 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 fought he he just fought a slight a slightly better fight. He's a he's a problem at one forty five. I think um, he's got uh, he's got real size, and I think he's a. Uh, yeah, I think he's looking at a, a super highly ranked contender uh, in his next bout. Who would you yes. want to see? Who do you want to see him take on? So let me see. I'm going to quickly look at the rankings at 145. Um, I think the Cater matchup. I know Cater's coming off of a loss, but if he's coming back soon, that's a great matchup for Josh Emmett. I'd be very happy with, with that. I think, um, I think Emmett's also on the Korean shelf. Zombie. I think he's bad. I think he's badly hurt. Um, Emmett is on I the shelf. Emmett, uh, I think Emmett enough. got a Emmett got a knee injury. He's getting something repaired. Um, so if I had my druthers, my number one pick, and I'm not sure if he's scheduled as of right now, would probably be Yair Rodriguez because Rodriguez is coming off of, I believe he's oh, coming yeah. off of a win over Jeremy Stevens, and that would allow Arnold Allen to fight number four. And Arnold Allen at this point is number eight in the division. I could also see him them pairing him up with Dan Ige, depending on Dan Ige's next fight and the way that it goes. But that would probably be my number one choice is Rodriguez is also coming off of a win, and I think the winner of that could, could make a clear-cut argument uh, for being the number one contender. Also, Zabit Magomed Sharipov is a very similar fighter to Rodriguez. That could be an interesting matchup for Arnold Allen. Let's face it, the guy's, what, 7 or 8 and 0 in the UFC now? Yeah. Um, he had, you know, some hard fights earlier in his UFC career against some, like, good fighters, but not great fighters. But, man, he really seems to have shored up a lot of his uh, issues, and Nick Lentz is no pushover even at this point even at this age in many ways he is better than he used to be his conditioning is still suffering a bit but but he looked good against Lentz he looked good against um Gilbert Melendez and he looked good here in this matchup against you know yeah, arguably his I best think, opponent yet so really I think good the, stuff I think the uh, a very obvious next fight to make is the winner of Edson Barbosa Shane Burgos I think you're talking about a, a co- like a very that would be a very Allen against that that person puts him against the top ten fighter either way. Whoever wins that is ranked ahead of him. And um, actually, no. Uh, oh, I'm uh, looking. Number I'm not looking at. Burgos. I'm not looking at the UFC rankings. I know I should be, but I'm looking at the. Uh, I still like using for uh, for the, the record the to, to rank. Rankings. Just for the record, if you're telling me that uh, 
Arnold Allen doesn't deserve to be ranked above Shane Burgos and Edson Barboza, I'm going to strongly disagree. And I know that that's what they have, and that's not necessarily your view, but I'm going to agree with the UFC rankings on this one. Arnold um, Allen is seven or eight and zero in the UFC, dude. Like, what the hell this, is? Yeah, but this was his first Shane real. Burgos this was his him. first like real high quality opponent. Mendoza was know. shot in Lens. I don't think you can put Mendoza where like Melendez. Reese and Eric Gilbert Men, Gilbert Melendez. I'm sorry, or um, Nick Lenz on that on the same level as the guys that. Um, yeah, but he's undefeated. Nick. Shane Burgos has. Shane Burgos has multiple losses. Edson Barboza has like an even record you in gotta, the division. But you like, got to beat somebody in the top ten to get in the top ten. Like Arnold has he never just done did. That. No, he didn't. I Sadiq, Sadiq Yusuf was ranked eleven. Yusuf wasn't. He was. Yeah, you're right. He he got stepped down once. But but again, like Shane Burgos and I don't know. I, I would not be down for the Shane Burgos Barboza matchup. I think he deserves much better than that because that's that's the kind of like that's like holding him back essentially, right? At 145, I, this I is not know. a big problem. You see the. You see the younger guys, the up-and-comers, facing the top contenders, which is why I didn't have so much of a problem with this Arnold Allen-Sadiq Yusuf matchup. At lightweight is where that problem persists, where the guys at the top refuse to face anybody that's on the come-up. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would love to see Arnold Allen take a step up, take face one of those number three or number four contenders uh, and go from uh, there. I'd and, love to see him that... beat Yaya Rodriguez. I don't know what yes. happens. I mean, Zabit, you know, Zabit really would be a real interesting fight. I mean, I'm, I'm game yeah, for either, either of those. those I just be. thought we could... We could kind of slow it a little bit more if he wants to be active, more active. Because he the hasn't man been there. is he the man has a wealth active. of experience. He's got a great record. I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's he's probably got the best record in this division besides Volkanovski, who I think is also undefeated in the UFC uh, uh, featherweight division. I mean, he's like extremely impressive. Zabit, I know, is undefeated, but he's looked really yeah, bad. Yeah, but Ar- Arnold Allen fights now. like once a year. That's Which, true. Yeah. I'm sorry that you lose issue. a lot of points to me for activity if. Like he's been in the U- he's that. been in the UFC since the middle of 2015, so almost six years. Yeah. Um, Who would you want to see Yusuf fight next, Nick? Uh, good question. I, Him, I would love to see against the winner of Barboza and Burgos. That would be so much fun in either case. Yeah, or the loser, either one. Um, yeah. Or the loser yeah, of, of Zombie Ige, but I think the loser of Burgos uh, Barbosa, fo- you know, knowing that they do follow the loser, the winner, winner, loser, loser uh, path. Um, yeah, they elsewhere. haven't been as much lately. It seems like if you have name, if you have a name, and if you've been like at yeah. the top for a while, a loss, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily keep you from fighting an up and coming prospect. Which I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Like if you're still ranked higher than someone, uh, I don't see anything wrong with kind of almost like a semi setup matchup potentially, where either one guy gets back on track or the other guy gets his big win and enters the top five. So the the third fight down on this card, Nick, we had the matchup between Julian Marquez and Sam Alvey. It's about what you and I expected. We weren't sure that he was going to be able to finish Alvi, but Alvi's chin has not looked good for a little while now, even even though he had a couple of very close fights with him, some 205-pound prospects. Marquez's speed at this division was just too much for him. He was able to land, I believe it was that left hand from Southpaw several times on Alvi and looked really good on this one. Yeah. Again, I I, I didn't have high hopes for Alvi moving down. Uh, he took a lot of, took a lot of damage uh, before getting choked out. On um, a more positive note, uh, I guess, although you feel a little bit bad for Nina Nunez. Um, Mackenzie Dern, just raw athleticism, confidence, um, unpredictability, just uh, took it to her. And, um, yeah. uh, and you, you know, know what? More importantly, she was able to get a takedown, and her takedown percentage in the UFC was something like 5%. 
So like one out of every 20 takedowns she attempts, she gets. And she was able to get that takedown basically on the first shot. She's improving her athleticism. Her striking is getting up there. She's working on her wrestling. And given her athleticism and her expertise in that one area of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, she has the potential to be a top three fighter for sure, especially after this performance. Yeah, it's been very fun to watch watch her ascent. Um, uh, you know, Nina Nunes, tough. She's, you know, she's definitely not a contender. She's 10-7 and seven overall. Um, yeah. You know, maybe she maybe she stays in the and becomes kind of a gatekeeper, um, but she's certainly nowhere near the title picture now. Um, Agreed. Dan who would you match beat, up Dern with next? Uh, who would I match Dern up with next? I don't know if Joanna uh, is scheduled to face anyone, but I would be open to that. Just because if we're looking at Dern as like somebody who should keep climbing, that would be the matchup. If we're uh, open to her facing somebody that's ranked right above or below her, I would say Marina Rodriguez might be an interesting one. Although I think it favors Dern, possibly by a big margin in that one. The style matchup. Yeah. Let me look at the upcoming. I don't think that Joanna takes that takes that fight. Um, I think nope. I think a good bet is the winner, uh, Jan uh, Jeanan, uh and Carlos Barza. Uh, coming up next month, I think that's. Uh, yeah, I could I could definitely see that being the matchup that, that they. I think that's very possible. I think she'll I think she'll even though Amanda Hivas has that win over her. I mean, she may if if Amanda Hivas beats Angie Hill, maybe Dern takes that fight to try to get her loss back. Um, I, could see I could see her wanting to do that. I don't get you know I mean she's excited, but I don't get the sense that she's in a rush. I could see her. No. Wa- I could see her wanting to get that win back and. You know, watching Hibas, um, l- you know, lose her last fight to Marina Rodriguez. Um, you know, we'll see. I could see her running that. I could see. I could see Tisha Torres or the winner of that Asparja fight um, also. So no, no shortage of exciting options. Those are all fights I'd be really stoked to watch. Michelle Waterson's hanging around there with no fight lined up. But if I'm Michelle yeah, Waterson, I don't know. Like I don't know what Michelle Waterson has to gain by uh, by you know by fighting Mackenzie Dern. Yeah, I don't know if the UFC looks at Watterson as just like this future star as much, well, although she is promotable. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they match her up with Dern, even though she doesn't have much to gain from that Dern matchup. But I will say about Dern one important thing: we very rarely see an undisciplined fighter just turn everything around and and start to take their career extremely seriously and make major changes that changes their career trajectory entirely. Right. And Mackenzie Dern, Henry Cejudo is another example of that Henry who couldn't make weight for his life, you know, early in his UFC career is now disciplined at his best. Technically, uh, diet wise. I mean, obviously leading up to his faux retirement and Dern is another example of that, right? She honestly looked out of shape in the first several UFC bouts. And she performed like it. She wasn't particularly strong, wasn't really developing in her technique. Her coaches, I think she was kicked out of the MMA lab because she wasn't actually showing up in training. And now she's clearly changed all of that, taking her strength and conditioning seriously, developing her skills in the areas in which she is weak. So really impressive to watch. And again, it's the reason I think she can be a top three, top four fighter in this division. Uh, I'm not so sure that she's going to take that title, but man, her jiu-jitsu man, all she has to do is get on the ground with her renewed strength and confidence. She could probably tie anybody up if she did it to answer off. That was very impressive. Uh, and then we have uh, Daniel Rodriguez, man, versus Mike Perry. You and I disagreed on this one. You picked Perry by, oh, you know, a small never, margin. Never but again. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. He's a 7-7 seven and seven fighter leading up to this bout, right, versus the 3-1 and one guy in the UFC. Yeah, but the guy, uh, per- the Perry, guy that went toe-to-toe with Luke is gone. That guy doesn't exist anymore. 
Well, I don't, I don't know. I, it's kind of this. It's kind of the same guy, except no, that he wasn't not. able to land some of his not, bomb attempts. It's not the same guy. He doesn't have the same level of confidence. He, once his nose goes early in a fight, he gets real tepid. He's not. He doesn't seem nearly as strong. I don't know if he's if he was on the gas or if he's off the gas, but he. This was not. This is not the Mike Perry that was showing up two, three years ago. I'll put it to you this way, though. The Mike Perry that showed up a couple of fights ago against Mickey Gall, he would have gotten smoked by Rodriguez and probably finished. So it's a good sign for him that I think he linked up with MMA Masters uh, down there in South Florida and is actually with a legitimate camp. He came in in shape. He made weight. So, like, there were several improvements, but this this just wasn't the right matchup for him. Mike Perry, I mentioned this leading up to uh, on last week's episode, Mike Perry has good offensive wrestling. That was his way to win this fight. He showed it in the first round. He got he got t- top position with a double leg, a clean double leg, right? But he didn't have the, I don't know if it was the MMA IQ or if it was Rodriguez who was like much more, much more wary of that takedown. Because I think even though Perry keeps getting takedowns, people don't realize that he does that and he's pretty good at it. He's pretty good at getting top position. It's just he doesn't have much technique standing, especially defensively and or any real setups offensively. And he doesn't have a whole lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, certainly not from bottom position. Uh, we saw him get swept by Donald Cerrone, who has good takedown defense after Perry took him down. So, yeah, Perry's in this weird mode where he prefers to strike but isn't very good there and is a good wrestler but doesn't really go for it much. Um Look, uh, seven and eight in the UFC now. I don't think we can expect a whole lot from Perry. He's an exciting fighter, and he's got one fight left on his UFC contract. So I'm sure he's gonna. Uh, I'm sure the UFC will give him the opportunity to come in and and get roughed up again, possibly for 50 grand, and and we can kind of all move on with our lives. He's probably gonna end up in Bellator, beating up on Tyron Woodley or something. I think bro. I think bare knuckle is much more likely. I would not be surprised, although, man, with his defense and the way he gets marked up in MMA fights with these gloves on, I i mean, that could be just really scary for him, depending on who he faces off with. Who would you like to see Rodriguez face next, Nick? Do you think in top 15 at this point? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of those guys have, uh, they got dance cards, but you know who doesn't? I mean, top 15 might be pushing it. I think he's a good fight for a guy like Carlos Condit. Um, oh yeah, I would be very interested in that. I like him against Condit, or or like if you want to give Santiago Ponzinibbio a chance to redeem himself after the Lijing Lang knockout, that's not a it. you know that's a little bit further up, um, but that's looking pretty good too. Um, yeah, that sounds good to me. Outside of that, I would be uh, I would be happy with a Bilal Muhammad or Lijing Liang matchup. Uh, those I guys could, are twelve and thirteen. I could also rank. see coming off of that. If they wanted to test, if they wanted to be careful with how bad COVID had hit him, and D Rod can probably can talk a little, and he hits hard. He's got a a, a nice little reel. Khazmat Shemaev. Um, oh yeah, Khazmat Shemaev. So any any of those yeah. I think are I think are interesting fights. Condit I think makes probably makes the most sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm into that. Uh, and then outside of that, Joe Selecki basically, you know, had a tough first round against Jim Miller like everyone does and then took over in the second and third rounds because Jim Miller has no conditioning past five minutes. Uh, Marius Gambro was able to knock out Scott Holtzman. He looked pretty good. Looked like the 17-0 prospect that he came into the UFC as and kind of met those expectations. Really nice performance by him. John McDessey, who hurt uh, Ignacio Bahamondes early on in that first round and was kind of tepid until then, but once he hurt him, he just put the pressure on 
on. He, he gained his confidence. And he's a guy that, like, if he's mentally in a good place, he can fight really well. And I think at this point in his life, got a, kind of a badass look to him with that with that half gray, half black beard. Um, so he he had a good night as well. Uh, we had uh, Jarzis Daño, who knocked out Jorgen DeCastro, two mediocre heavyweights in the first one to land a big shot, took it home. Jack Shore did about what we expected against Hunter Azure, although that was a split decision win. And then uh, Luis Saldana beat Jordan Griffin. By the way, this ended up being Saldana. a controversial fight, apparently. Saldana, sure. Ended up being a controversial decision, but I didn't think so. I thought that he won. Uh, I thought that he won 29-28. One of those rounds where Jordan Griffin got top position. Saldana did way more damage in the first round, early in the first round. So I I gave him that first round. And then Daun Jung and William Knight, you and I disagreed on this one. I I told you that Daun Jung is way more technical everywhere and William Knight is too raw. And that's how it kind of turned out. Although William Knight was able to land a couple of hard punches. Impa Kasanganai with a great finish, a a scramble into a rear naked choke. Uh, What do you have to say about some of those, bud? Yeah, I was totally off on William Knight. Bad, bad pick. Uh, I thought Sadania fight could have gone either way. I was glad that he got it, as he was my pick. And then Impa Kasaganai looked... I felt bad for, Sha- for Sasha uh, Palatnikov. But um, Kasaganai just... He looked he looked really man- good, man. That guy is... He's super, super athletic. Um, and he's got and he's got some pop. If he He's one of those guys where you... you the, the danger is you can kind of see him thinking in there. He's got to yeah. he's got to work on his on his fight IQ. He's got things need to become instinctual more than reactive. But as far as athlete, as far as uh, athletic gifts go, um, sky's the limit at, at one seventy for him. I think uh, you know I think he'll bounce back nicely from that Joaquin Buckley fight. If they were to rematch, I'd probably I would probably pick Asagana. I think he's got a higher upside than Joaquin Buckley. Um, uh, me too. Same here. I think he just got caught honestly. Yeah, it happens. Uh, it happens to the best of us, right? Mostly to you. But um, if I were to talk, about, if I were to think about guys <laughs> that, uh, man, for him to to take on next, like he's not, you know, he's not in the rankings. I mean, Brian Barberina, that's a good challenge for him. I'm into that because you're not. If you don't, if you if you're stopping to either look at your work or think about what you're going to do next, Brian Barberina is going to throw you to the ground, put pressure on you. Quickly, as far as the results for last week, Nikolai, naturally, I ended up winning once again, as I just, as I tend to do, Nick. Don't, you uh, know what? I got, yeah. Just fucking watch it. I went five and one. You went three and three. Uh, that brings my total to 36.5 points and your total to 30. So I'm about 6.5 uh, points ahead, which is not like the craziest thing. My overall picks went ten and three. Yours went eight and five, and uh, yeah, the two fights that you and I disagreed on, I think I ended up being correct on. Luckily for oh, Daniel Rodriguez and Daun Jung, yeah, uh, you you picked two of the less uh, technical guys in that matchup, which I was surprised about. I feel like I feel like you normally do better on that, but uh, we we all have those underdog picks that don't work out. Nikolai, that'll do it for that fight night. Let's break down this upcoming fight night headline by Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gashlam. Uh, some some no names, a couple of prospects. It's not as good of a card, I would say, as last week, but I think there's some promising fights to look forward to on this one, bud. Uh, definitely. Very excited to uh, get into it with you, maybe win some of these points back. Yes, sir. Let's take a break, come back, and break it down for everyone.
back on the MMA Geeks podcast, and we're going to break down UFC Fight Night Whitaker versus Gastelum, a fight that may very well determine the next number one contender in the middleweight division. Nikolai, <laughs> you, you went, you went like, you went full Howard Cosell there. That may very yeah. well determine the next <laughs> contender in the middleweight division. I'm going to take that as the biggest compliment you've ever given me, Nikolai. So, yeah, um, I think some odds are weird in this one. There are some very close odds that, to me, look like they shouldn't be that close. Some far apart odds that look like they should be closer. Uh, my first pick is going to be in the Tony Gravely versus Anthony Burchank matchup. You um, motherfucker. Burchank is... Yeah, was that your first pick? Burchank is slow and mediocre. Um, he came back to the UFC and got smoked by, like, a you know, okay fighter. Gravely is a solid wrestler, good pressure, good team behind him. I think Gravely is going to win in probably dominant fashion here. Fine. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. I think I do think there's a couple of gimmies on here, and I'm hopeful that I'll get at least a couple of them. Listen, I haven't watched a ton of tape on Lupita uh, Godinez. I firmly believe that there's – I think there's zero chance – Maybe I'll eat my words. I think there's zero chance that Jessica Penny belongs anywhere near the UFC at this uh, at this stage. Um, the division has moved on fast and furiously since she was in it and not that successful. Um, so I think anyone who's made it and it's, as a contemporary prospect should be able to roll her. She's. I just don't see any any. I don't recall any aspect of Penny's game that has me concerned about this fight. Yeah, Penny's kind of an all-rounder and isn't really great anywhere, but she prefers to strike, and that's exactly where Lupita's just absolutely nasty, serious hands. She took this fight on short notice, so if Penny can get through the first round, I could see her maybe grinding it out in the clinch, maybe getting takedowns. But I, I think uh, uh, Godina, uh, Godina's between her uh, boxing offense and wrestling defense. I think she should have what it takes to beat Penny, even on short notice. But we're going to see. It's hard to tell because Penny hasn't been around in so long. And I know that she's staying in that MMA space, so presumably she's been working on her technique. I just don't know that her potential is that high to begin with. Um, also, we have to keep in mind quickly that Jessica Penny lost to some really high-level fighters when it comes to striking. So, you know, even though we don't have great memories of her dominating, they were to some of the very best on the planet. My next draft pick is going to be, why not? I'm going to take Alexander Romanov to beat Juan Espino. I realize Espino is a really good uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu grappler, and both of these guys kind of benefit from the fact that heavyweight sucks and they have no idea how to get up, and it doesn't help that uh, both Espino and Romanov are giant monster human beings who, once they get on top of you, man, you are probably not getting out from under them. Um Romanov is 13-0, 2-0 in the UFC with an 100% finish rate. So both finishes in the UFC, both submissions. Uh, he's large, he's fast, he's explosive, nasty ground and pound, really good wrestling. His striking isn't very high level, but he'll like explode with a flying knee or a spinning thing here and there. Um, that's something he needs to work on. His defense striking isn't awesome, but he is tough and mentally durable. Um, so I, I like him to beat Espino, who, look, if Espino can get, there's always a risk of a submission, right, when you face this guy, but Romanov should win out in the battle of pressure fighters. If Romanov is so concerned with Espino's Brazilian jiu-jitsu that he doesn't go for takedowns, it's anyone's fight, right? Since both guys hit hard and the kind of big moves is all they throw, and neither is very technical there. So it could easily go either way, uh, striking if uh, if Romanov decides to keep it on the feet. Also, I think there's a higher risk of Espino taking top position when they're standing at range than if Romanov is on top. So I hope Romanov comes in with confidence in his ground game, and I'm picking him. <coughs> yep. I think there's kind of an upset here, but I've got to go against my instinct. 
uh, to pick guys on what could happen. Because if, if Espino ends up in top control, there's a really good chance he's able to finish this fight. It's just his path to getting on top of Romanov is a lot hairier than Romanov's path to getting on top of Espino. Um, and by that nature, I, got, I have to go with Romanov. I just think it's more likely. Uh, I also think there's a slight chance that if Romanov does get on top of him, that if if Romanov's too sloppy and Espino can really keep his cool, he can Frank Mir or Brock Lesnar uh, there. They were talking about their first fight, of course, not their second fight. But all other indications are that it looks more like their second fight. So, so um, I think that's more. I think more likely we're going to get Lesnar Mir two, but it's not impossible that we get Lesnar Mir one. Yeah, I could see it. Um, what's your next pick? For my next pick, I'm going to go. Um, again, I traditionally have a lot of success with picking the female fights, so I'm going to go with uh, Tracy Cortez and her power wrestling uh, over Justine Kish. Um, a fighter who's had some success, uh, but not wild success. She has that win over Nina Nunez. Um, but I just think that Tracy, Tracy Cortez is too powerful and her top control is too smothering. Uh, I think she'll probably take some licks uh, to get there. And she, you know, there may be some scrambles, but I think over the course of three rounds that uh, Cortez's wrestling base and her ability to control is, what, is what's going to score points. Yeah, I think there's a real good chance. I, I will say, though, Kish is, like, always underestimated. She's a solid striker, tends to beat fellow strikers, especially with her pressure game. And I think her takedown defense is pretty good, actually. Uh, but Cortez's pressure grappling, I, I think that'll probably win out. She's actually very fast with her striking early and tends to kind of slow down as the fight goes on. But her wrestling stays, like, at, at top notch throughout a three-round fight. Um Cortez is going to use her athleticism to pressure her into grappling exchanges, and I think that'll be enough to beat Quiche, but I wouldn't be surprised if Quiche outcrafts and pressures Cortez to a decision win by defending takedowns and landing more strikes, especially since Cortez is moving back down to 125 uh, after competing at 135 for a couple of fights, but I'm picking Cortez here as well, so we agree on this one. My next pick is going to be in the main event um, in the Robert Whitaker-Kelvin Gastelum matchup. You're surprised that it's this early, right? I am. Yeah, uh, I think there's a, I think there's is, a lot way more obvious fights to pick. That's that that's fair. Um, I, I just feel like Whitaker is undefeated at middleweight, besides the one fight against Israel Adesanya, and I know that he's been getting rocked a lot lately, and that is a real concern. Um, and you know, Calvin Gastelum has a serious left hand, and Calvin Gastelum's like a fast southpaw trains at King's MMA under Rafael Cordero, right? One and three in his last four fights, though. Like that has to be accounted for, even though he looked in his best shape in his last fight. He wasn't fighting a guy that's on this level, right? Most of Kelvin uh, Gastelum's wins over old past their prime fighters. Jake Ellenberger, Nate Marquardt, Johnny Hendricks, Tim Kennedy, Vitor Belfort, Michael Bisping, Jacare Souza, right? These are all way past their prime, and his losses are to taller fighters who are a little closer to their prime, like Neil Magny, Israel Adesanya, Darren Till, and Jack Hermanson. You can even throw Chris Weidman in there, even though he was arguably past his prime at the time. So I, I feel like Whitaker's three inches taller with more reach and is only one year older than Gastelum. So it's not like he's one of these old veterans coming in here, even though he's got some miles on him. Gashlam got taken down 26 times in the UFC so far. Gashlam gets knockouts pressing forward, but Whitaker does well against opponents who press forward, right? Whitaker has trouble against opponents who counter well, and Gashlam does not counter well. 
Gastelum is probably faster than Whitaker, but the one thing that beats speed is timing, and Whitaker has phenomenal timing, especially like Whitaker doesn't slip and counter, right? He counters at the same time as you throw something. He moves his head off the center line and lands something on you. So like he has excellent timing, and I think that'll be the perfect kind of anecdote to Gastelum's speed. Uh, Gastelum's power concerns me since Whitaker has been buzzed at least once per fight, once in each of his last five fights. But the style matchup otherwise favors Whitaker in just about every way. So I'm taking Robert Whitaker with confidence in this one. But I can see why you have trepidation. Yeah, I'm just gonna hold off and uh, and talk about it. Uh, well, I'm just I was gonna hold off and, and and have it happen later. I'm still struggling. I my instinct is that Whitaker. Um, should be should be favored. I just think that left hand is uh, is really dangerous. And, but I guess it's like you know I don't want to put too much in the stock of a puncher. So if I if I've got to make a pick, the gun to my head, I think Whitaker. But I was going to hold off on this one until much later. Fair enough. Um, but I, I will not be surprised if if I just don't want to risk my my points and reputation on Gastelum, you know, landing that left hand. That is uh, understandable. For the record, from your position. You probably should have picked Gastelum if you had the chance, especially if you think it's relatively close, because that would have netted you two points. No, I understand. And you need to come back. Yes, I know. Thank you for explaining to me how points work. Um, I'm you're welcome. Go... It, just, it seems like you're so far behind. If it, it felt like you might have needed that. <laughs> yeah, as usual, you're ahead by a nose. Um... Six and a half points, Nick. And I've won. I, I think, know. Every, I, but it, you're ahead, I didn't say which nose. You're ahead by your nose, which is six and a oh, half points. Oh, that's a lot. That's worth. a huge lead. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> Um, on, <laughs> I got you. Didn't even know. Oh, I know it. I trust me. I, I'm aware of the schnoz on this face, Nick. I can see it from Washington Heights. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> go for my next pick. Even though he's had a couple of rough outings, I'm gonna pick uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan uh, to defeat Jacob Malkoon. Uh, Malkoon just got torched by Phil Hawes um, in his last fight. Um, that's I know Phil Hawes has power, but that's just a real bad sign. When you go, when you go, you know, when one when one shot sleeps you that fast. I know he trains with some terrific fighters, has great training partners, but sometimes these guys who are the training partners show up in the UFC, you know, for a uh, you know for a cup of coffee, and they just are better train. There's some guys are gym fighters. I was, as I've mentioned on the show before, I was a better practice swimmer than I was a meat swimmer. Um, so I think uh, I think Razak Al Hassan should be able uh, to land a shot and and hurt this guy. Um, likely in the first round. He just hits too hard for someone who melted under Phil Hawes to uh, be entering the fight confidently. Yeah, I mean, Razak looked like a serious prospect leading up to his two-fight losing streak. He was able to kind of run over people with intensity and power alone until until that point anyway, right? But Calhoun, who's Whitaker's main training partner, is only five fights into his career. Now, here's the thing. Just because you're Whitaker's training partner doesn't mean you're like, whooping on Whitaker, it might mean that you're a punching back, right? Like we saw that with Artem Lobov and Conor McGregor. So he shouldn't have a technical advantage or power advantage. Uh, Malhoun shouldn't. There's a chance he's the better grappler and can implement that game, but I wouldn't bet on it. Look, there's a chance he got caught and he's actually pretty good overall because he did fight like an explosive, powerful fighter with more experience than him. And there's a chance that given... Uh, <laughs> that's what, uh, guess what? That's, what this, that's what, what this is. That's exactly yeah, the description no, for... Uh, True, but the confidence level is a very different place. Al Hassan, you know, coming off of these two 
kind of dominant losses, and and he was a big favorite in both those fights. You know, mentally, where the heck is he? I wonder. But yeah, I, I'm there with you. I got Razak Alhassan. He was going to be one of my next few picks uh, in mo- in any case. Anyway, my next pick is going to be. I'm going to take. Austin Hubbard to beat Dakota Bush. Dakota, no, you got to say you have to say Dakota's nickname. What is his nickname? I actually don't know it. It's the worst nickname in UFC. Is it like Fanning or something? What is it? Think about it. What what would go before his last name that would make it just horrible to, for just to in, have Bruce Buffer not wanting to say it? George Bush, I, like. Or, uh, Harry. What, what, what? Harry. Harry. But are you serious? I swear to God. Oh, that's terrible, Nick. Oh, I do not approve of that one bit. Why? Why did he think that was a good idea? I don't know. Maybe MMA fighters get hit in the head for a living. What do you want from me? Also, look, that's fair. Also, looking at a picture of him, he's not at all hairy. Why did that seem clever? In any case, uh, that is a bigger reason why I'm picking Austin Hubbard now. Um, look, Hubbard does well against these kind of late notice uh, UFC signees and. You know, Dakota has wrestling and Hubbard struggled against really good wrestlers, but I don't think he has that level of wrestling. And Dakota doesn't necessarily have like high level setups for a strike. So I think Austin Hubbard should be able to piece him up. And this is the kind of fight where I think like as it the deeper it goes, the more Hubbard will be taking over and looking better and better. Unless Dakota Bush has way better wrestling than I realized and is in impeccable condition. That, that's possible. Yep. That was, uh, I have the same pick. I also just want the guy to lose for his stupid ass nickname. Oh, um, it's terrible. I'm going to go – it's all weird picks now. I'm going to go with uh, – I think that Chase Sherman is the kind of opponent that Andre Arlovsky can still beat. Um, I think that I've, I've slept on Arlovsky with a couple, against a couple of opponents um, and been wrong, and I, I just think that this is one of those times where I don't think he's lost too much. I think the Aspinall fight, he was mostly doing okay. He – he, he dealt with that flurry uh, pretty well, but ended up getting choked um, and, and caught. That was an error in judgment against a fighter that I think for whom I think there's an extremely high ceiling. I don't think Chase Sherman has an extremely high ceiling for watching him in earlier his earlier UFC career, his return, or his his stint in uh, what's he in? He was in Bare Knuckle, right? In Bare Knuckle. Um, I just I think that I don't think he can he can beat any version that we've seen of, of Andre Arlovsky. He's too, Arlovsky's still too crafty, um, can stay out of trouble, can use distance, uh, and can score points. Yeah, I'm there with you. Arlovsky tends to beat up-and-comers who he has the edge over in speed, experience, and or cardio. He has the edge in all of those departments here, in my opinion. Chase Sherman looked very good in only one UFC fight, and that was his last UFC fight. And then he ended up popping for performance-enhancing drugs afterward, which kind of explains it. Also, it was against a really bad opponent. So I like the aging veteran Orlovsky to take a decision over, even though he took this on a very short, I think like on a week's notice, I'm hoping and assuming that his experience and, and he's staying in the gym and staying in shape so so that he can take this one here. But Chase Sherman would be probably the worst loss in his career. For the record, a minus 125, I think that's a pretty good deal there. Definitely some good opportunities in that way. I think Alexander Romanov, a minus 135 is a great deal. There's definitely some betting opportunities on this card, and this is one of them. My next pick, Nikolai, is going to be... I actually think you're going to disagree with this one, which maybe is a mistake for me picking it, but I'm going to take... Bartos Fabinski to beat Gerald Mirchart. I feel like Fabinski only does one thing well. He takes you to the floor and lays upon you. Yep, I actually I actually do agree with this pick. You do agree with that. Uh, Gerald yep. has good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, decent slow motion kind of southpaw striking, but 
all Fabinski needs to do is get his takedowns, right? And I think he'll be able to do that here. I can see Merchart coming on strong late with strikes if Fabinski's tired, but I'm picking Fabinski to hump his way to a decision. I know uh, Fabinski got submitted by Muniz in his last fight, but I picked Muniz because Muniz is an elite Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I don't think Mirchard is an elite black belt. I think he's a good black belt. I'm not convinced he's good enough to replace, uh, to kind of replicate Muniz's Munez, success. So, so that is my stance on that one. Cool. Um, next, I'm gonna go with. This is one of those female fights where it's it's hard to get all the data, but um, you know the the fighter Zara Firen, who is coming down from 145, where she had really not any success. Um, and is fighting um, 135-pound Brazilian fighter uh, uh, Josie Nunes. I just Farron's one of those fighters where you're just like, what are they doing here? Almost seems like um, mid mid to lower level Invicta. Um, so even though I'm not entirely uh, convinced on the upside of the Bra- of the Brazilian fighter, I think she should be able to either put her on her back or outstrike her. Um, I, this is a fight too that I'll be very surprised if this is still on the card. Um, I don't. I just have a feeling I could see Farron having problems with weight. Um, but if it go if it gets into the cage, I just don't think that she's UFC caliber at one thirty five. Got it. I, I'm I'm disagreeing. Uh, I, I think both of them are pretty mediocre, but Zara is at least way bigger, and I'm not sure that Nunes, Nunes I think took this on short notice. I, I might be I might be wrong. Um, Nunes has power, but doesn't have much in her game to set up her power shots. Zara is a bit more consistent and can probably win out on pressure and cardio. So uh, I'm picking Zara, but again, like not much confidence. This is a super low-level fight, so good to know that we disagree on this one. My next pick is going to be, I'm going to pick Alex Munoz to beat Luis Pena at lightweight. Um, Luis Pena, I I believe, is... yeah, you do. I think Luis Pena is coming back up from 145. I think he's made a couple of attempts at making weight there. The thing is that Alex Munoz does like one thing really well. He's a really good wrestler. He generally pressures, right? And he kind of goes for big strikes, even though he's not very technical. Um, Pena is decently offensive everywhere, right? He's got okay offensive wrestling, okay top position jiu-jitsu, pretty decent striking even though nothing big is going to land but he's defensively inept in most areas he also tends to make mistakes offensively that leave him exposed like he did in his last fight where he went for a sloppy takedown against Karma Worthy only to be choked out Munoz is a solid wrestler striking technique isn't high level but he's explosive and tough as nails I like Munoz to effectively pressure here by having the bigger moments on the feet even though he's less technical and getting top position several times to win a decision agreed this uh Man, these last two are tough calls. This co-made event especially, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pick it here, even though as I talk, I'm flip-flopping. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go with Jakar Close over Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens is a dangerous guy. He's been losing to elite competition uh, for a while, but over the last several years, he doesn't have that many wins. He slept. Korean Superboy um, with a great shot, and and he also slept Josh Emmett with a great shot, but both of those fights were a while ago, and he's taken a lot of damage since then. Um, He started, he looked as though he was getting a little bit of um, confidence back in uh, late in his fight against uh, Yaya Rodriguez, then he got beat up by Qatar, but against, in those Rodriguez fights, in the Qatar fight, in the Zabib fight, in the Aldo fight, 
Like that's four fights where he took he took a lot of shots. Close hasn't taken that much damage aside from you know getting KO'd by Benil Daryush, but he's taken a long time off uh, following that fight, and he's got good pressure. And this is just one of those cases where I'm gonna bet on the guy who I think is gonna have the consistency uh, and the volume, even if he's a little a little bit slower. I think in the early rounds, Steven still tends to load up. Um, you know, load up his shots, and I, I think Close has to avoid the big one. If he can avoid the big one, he should be able to get a decision victory. But it's entirely possible that Jeremy Stevens knocks him out. Yeah, it's a close matchup on paper. Obviously, it's one of our last two picks. Stevens will have the speed and power advantage. Also, judging by his last fight against Cater, he'll probably be more aggressive and and like get win out in the pressure battle is what I think. He also has grit for days and solid wrestling, but Close also has plenty of grit and conditioning. He's a good pressure fighter, but doesn't have the firepower that Stevens has, right? He's also much less experienced against the lead competition, whereas Stevens has only been facing top-level fighters for years and years now. Stevens is lost. Yeah, although, can I just jump in for a second? I mean, I think Benil Daryush is a more elite fighter than Jeremy Stevens at this point. Yeah, and outside of that, nobody else in Drakkar Close's record. Yeah, I know. That's on that level. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and and that's why I say that. His one elite opponent he ended up losing to, and he kind of came in there with the mindset of, he's been hurt before, so I'm going to knock him out. But you've never really knocked anyone out before. Um, he's more of a decision guy. Stevens has lost because of speed, reach, and technical disadvantages to guys like Jose Aldo, Yara Rodriguez, Zabit Magomed Sharipov, Calvin Cater, right? He won't have those disadvantages in this matchup. He's not going to be slower. He's not going to have a reach disadvantage or not much of one, if at all. And he's not less technical. Both guys are coming off serious knockout losses, but Stevens has more power, more speed, and possibly a better chin. Unless, of course, Cater ruined his chin a year ago. Um, so I've, I've got Stevens here. Like it's it's very possible that it goes the other way. Stevens is like a has a one in four or five fights now, so there's good reason to favor close here. I just feel like the style matchup favors Stevens, given all the attributes it, of these actual fighters. Uh, it just depends. It depends what Stevens ha- what Stevens has left, and you're betting that he still has a bunch True. left. He also showed yeah, up. Judging that, by his that, last yeah, couple yeah, of performances, fight, I think he does. Yeah, I don't. He didn't show up until the third round of that Rodriguez fight. I, I, I don't True. know. It's uh And same thing against Magomed Sharipov, if I remember correctly. He he looked good in that third round, which which seems to be like a frequent thing with with those two guys. But that's the thing. It, it, early on against Cater, he was really putting it on Cater. In fact, if you don't like, if you don't count that knockdown knockout, which was devastating. Um, he he had way more moments in in that fight than Cater did. He was super aggressive, super fast, really put it on him. So I could see that same thing working working against. Uh, um, uh, sorry, what's working against Drakkar Close? Close doesn't do well off the back foot. He's very comfortable pushing forward, and I think Steven's speed and power will make Close more wary, especially coming off of a knockout loss. But I could be wrong here. This is this you, is a you tough might be right. I think. I think Close wins up win, is going to be able to win some points against the cage in this fight. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I could see I that. Win, and I also think he's probably going to get some takedowns, but we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I actually rate Stevens' wrestling to be a little bit better, but I wouldn't be surprised. There's takedown offensive and defensive stats are actually very very similar, like somewhere in the sixty. Yeah, 65 I just think Close is a bit big, is a bit bigger and a bit stronger, but we'll see. Yeah, I whereas, could, I could whereas Stevens see was taken down by Frankie Yeager, who is a great wrestler but a little guy. True. Um, we only have one fight left, Nick, and we each have six picks at this point. So we're going to leave this fight on kind of the back burner in case one of us, you know, in case one of our fights pulls when? out, we're going to end up when, when adding one of that. Our fights yeah, you're out. right. You're right. It's almost guaranteed, right? Uh, Hikaru Hamos versus Bill Algio. Uh, you want to quickly break that down first? 
Um, tough one. I mean, Bill Algio, I guess after uh, wait, didn't he? He put he had that fight with uh, Ricardo Lamas. Yes. Yeah. Now he's fighting Ricardo Lamas. <laughs> right. Right. It's funny. Isn't it's it? um, I I mean, Hamos is tough. A team alpha male guy, right? Um, like sinewy, strong, strong kid. Um, has all the attributes that come along with training at that gym. But we've seen what 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 Algio's got. He's he's, you know, he's a tough dude. He can punch. Um, and I think I slightly favor I slightly favor Algio here. But I think it's real close. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's extremely close. There's a reason you and I both uh, kind of avoided making this pick. Um, here's the thing. Aljo is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but not a high-level one. Hamos is a high-level grappler. Hamos is adept on the feet with some fancy, confident striking, but Aljo's kicking game is tough to deal with standing. I, I think that I think you'll be able to get takedowns against Aljo. Hamos will. Aljo gave up his back a couple of times to Spike Carlisle um, in their last fight and the kind of scrambles trying to get back to his feet. Hamos is a killer from that position. So for that reason, I'm picking him here. But if Aljo can scramble to his feet, which he's good at, without giving up the back and stay there long enough, he could definitely get the win. Since Hamos' chin is not great and is coming off a knockout loss, so his confidence could be in the gutter here, uh, especially when it comes to the stand-up game. So I could definitely easily see this going either way, but this is another one that you and I disagree on. Um, looking forward to uh, discussing the results of this one, man. I'm quickly going to run through our picks. Yeah, I'm very nervous here. Yeah, I mean, th- this this could either, I think, easily go either way. Um, uh, this is in no particular order. Your draft picks are Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, Tracy Cortez, uh, Drakkar Close, Andre Arlovsky, Lupita Godinez, and your uh, final pick is Josein Nunez. My picks were Robert Whitaker, Alexander Romanov, Austin Hubbard, Alex Munoz, Bardos Fabinski, and Tony Gravely were, were, my, uh, were my couple picks there, Nikolai. So, again, you all know the way this works. We each take turns drafting fighters on the card. Whoever ends up with more points at the end of an event wins the week. But most importantly, uh, we, we kind of tally up the total points. And right now I'm six and a half points ahead of Nick, the equivalent of six and a half uh, draft picks. So we're going to see how this works out, buddy. Yeah. Should we quickly discuss this Conor McGregor controversy with uh, Dustin Poirier? Where oh, Poirier called you know, McGregor out for this is what yeah for, I'll, I'll I'll talk yeah. for a minute about this. Listen, Stan, uh-huh. here's how it, it really boils down to this. When Mike Tyson was talking trash before his fight with Lennox Lewis, he said, "I want to eat his children." <laughs> when Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor want to feud and spat before their third fight, one guy is saying, "You didn't answer my email," and the other guy is yelling, "We were doing due diligence." <laughs> like, come on, guys, it is. The biggest, whiniest weak sauce. If, if you want to make two guys not seem like fighters, have one complain about a, a donation to a charity falling through. If you're going to, like, back channel that if it's a problem. Don't, this is all started because Conor McGregor predicted something insane, which was that he was going to win in the fourth round by front kick. Like, Conor McGregor's going to have the energy to throw a kick in the fourth round of any fight. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I know. And... Like so, he started that, and then Connor, and then Dustin was like, "Whatever," and shot back with this, and then Connor flipped out, and called you know called him a backwoods hillbilly. And, yeah, and, and Connor was and, like, I, "I'm not gonna fight you anymore, dude. You just got ra- savaged by him and knocked out. How are you gonna act like? How are you gonna act like you don't need but, this redemption?" And by the way, I think this is a bad decision by Connor to take this fight to begin with. But quickly, when it comes to the donation, um, here's the thing. They've settled on the fight. Uh, Dustin Poirier negotiated, and apparently McGregor's team was kind of on his side and trying to get him a little more money for the fight, which is cool of them. 
And then shortly after this whole prediction thing happened and Dustin replied, here's the thing. If Conor McGregor got a lot of positive PR from offering to volunteer $500,000 to Dustin Poirier's charity, which seems by all indications to be for a really good cause. um, I mean, you're talking about back channels. That's what they tried to do. They tried to exchange emails, but McGregor's people didn't respond, right? So I don't really blame Poirier for calling him out. Like He got credit for it. Right, he shouldn't because everybody assumes he gave it to him. I assume he did he get did. credit for it, but right? there's a there's a process. It hasn't been that long. I don't know. I just think that that listen. There's there's fight. There's there's promotional fight narrative business, and then there's like okay, who are we actually behind the scenes, and what are our businesses doing? Having guys whine about emails not being responded in a Twitter feud does not make me want to see them fight more. It makes me feel embarrassed for both of them. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know if I feel, look. I don't know if I feel embarrassed. I think McGregor looks like a real douchebag, and I think that's the, that's the reason he responded in this way. Also, I think it's because McGregor realizes he oh, needs to go back to his old self that was like you know shitting on his opponents rather than being all friendly with them. But this makes McGregor look terrible, and I think McGregor realizes that this is yeah, like it makes a, him look this well, like really a slimy, makes him look terrible. Yeah, yeah, like this is like a sleaze ball move, right? You're gonna make a whole hoopla about how you are volunteering to give half a million dollars to this charity. You mentioned it multiple times, right? You even get uh, uh, Dustin Poirier gave you credit for your team reaching out to him leading up to your last fight, and then also, suddenly your team just completely disappears on the subject. Also, There's Habib, funny Habib did it. Blame, Habib gave a yeah. hundred grand. He said he was going to, and he did. Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure. From what I understood, Khabib ended up auctioning off both of their T-shirts after their fight. And I think that raised about 200 grand, or maybe it raised 100 grand and Khabib added 100 grand to it. I wouldn't be surprised. Cool of Khabib, no doubt about it. Khabib didn't make a big deal out of it either, and he did it, right? He, he didn't want the PR. He just wanted to do the right thing, and I give him props for that. And Connor's they, the complete opposite. Yeah, they each, Dana White and Khabib Nurmagomedov both donated 100K to the foundation. Oh, very cool! I love that. I thought there was something with selling the T-shirts from the last. Well, no, he night. said he he but said that, he was going to so do that, cool. but he gave he gave Dustin the money, and then like do, he got it. the money from I Dustin, and he doesn't know what happened with if if he got it from the T-shirt or whatever. But got it. That, that's that's raised, absolutely fantastic. After that fight, Poirier raised two hundred and thirty-four grand. Uh, Amazing. Following the donations from those guys. I love that. That's fantastic. But again, Connor looks like a real piece of shit. And let's face it, he kind of is from most indications. And I look forward to the rematch. Like this, this does kind of pique my interest a little bit more because this is this is not like from Poirier's perspective. I don't think this was a contrived bullshit thing. I think Poirier has been bothering him probably for a couple of weeks, and he was just like, "Man, this guy's being a real douche. How about I bring this up, motherfucker? Like, wh- where's the money you said you would give to charity? I don't blame him. Connor has his bullshit excuses. Uh, it sounds like Connor's people are not responding to him, and I don't think Connor really intended to give him that money, especially after losing to him. Uh, so here we are in this weird situation where Connor claims he wants to now start a new foundation, which will probably be a, a money grab for him. Connor reminds me more and more of Donald Trump. The more I hear from him, and the more I I hear the way that he deals with things, and the way that he reacts to to anyone that dissents from you know complimenting him at all times he just reminds me of the bullshit the lies the pr stunts like he just reminds me of him so much uh, but I, you know what many of our listeners might be big fans of both guys so uh, i say this with due respect um real quick nick let's uh, let's quickly give our picks for the fight of the century the biggest fight in mixed martial arts history that has very little to do with mixed martial arts or is taking place in a ring as a boxing match. It is the matchup between uh, one of the Paul brothers. I forget which. I refuse to know this for uh, sure. Jake, Jake uh, Paul. Going up against Jake Paul. Going up against Ben Askren in a boxing match, Nick. How do you think this plays out? Um, listen, the, kid, the, the kid's got a good hand. 
but they're going to be wearing big gloves. I think that I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to be able to hit Askren with something that Askren doesn't see coming. And ask, you know, I'm. I've heard a couple of people make the recommendation, make the suggestion, and, and I believe it that even though he's not a boxer, Askren's been in there and and with Jay, with Jay Huron, with um, <clears throat> with or, or with George Masvidal, with Douglas um, Lima. With Douglas Lima, with loads of very talented strikers wearing gloves that are—I don't know what size gloves they're wearing—but the, they're going at the lightest. They'll be twelve ounces, right? Or probably. Uh, um, so I'm trying to look that up right now. Actually, uh, I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what the weight of the gloves is going to be, but I don't. Um, I don't, I don't see know him. That'll really matter for the I, for who wins the fight. Well, I what I what I what I think is. That Askren's going to be able to rough him up. He's going to be able to clinch him. And when Ben Askren clinches you, he's going to squeeze your arms in a way that you have never felt before. <laughs> like yeah, I just think I think that I think that Ben Askren is just a, a competitor and a monster with a high threshold for pain against a guy who you know who looks good physically, but is essentially a hobbyist. Um, he's never really been in there and had to fight for his life before. And Ben Askren has dozens of times. And I don't think Askren's not going to want to be embarrassed. Um, you know, uh, so can can Askren punch? I mean, he's not a he's not a great puncher, but I think he's I just think he's going to be I think he's going to be craftier. You're just going in with a guy who's ba- who's got who's got very basic superficial tools. And some athleticism against a man who's been a professional fighter for his entire adult life. So yeah. I, I, I'm very worried, of course, that Askren will get knocked out. But my uh, my brain tells me Ben Askren's far too crafty uh, to get knocked out by this guy. Yeah, I mean, look, it's I think it's a either eight or ten round bout. Um, it, it's it's tough to to know. Here's my big concern about Askren, and I agree with you about the fact two that minute, Askren can two put minute the pressure rounds. on. Or how many, I how believe many? so. In two minute rounds probably helps Askren. Uh, although I don't know, I think that probably helps Jake Paul because Askren can go longer and has the experience too. Here's the thing: my big, big, big concern about Askren is not the fact that his striking is absolutely abhorrent, absolutely terrible. It's yep. the fact that he's coming off of hip surgery and like diving right into this training camp. So I wonder physically whether he's going to be able to do much at all, whether he's going to take this seriously enough to even keep trying if if he gets, you know, hit with some giant bombs, um, you know, whether he's going to be able to walk straight or, or use those those hips to engage the clinch, et cetera. So that is my concern. I am picking Askren assuming that that, that area is okay. Um, and I'm assuming that he can take some bombs if he needs to, rough him up in the clinch, dirty box him, right? Depends on, depending on which referee they get. If they get one of these boxing referees that the moment they hit the clinch, he separates them immediately. And there's plenty of those. Like, um, uh, I forget, uh, his name escapes me right now. But there are several referees that are like that. And then there's some guys that will let you work a little bit in that clinch. I think that can make a huge difference on the result of this fight. I think that Askren can wear on him, can tire him out in that clinch, engaging him there, putting his weight on his head, pulling his head down, etc., um, and, and possibly either TKO late or make it to a decision that could go either way with, uh, uh, you know, Askren having lost the first three rounds and won the last few. But uh, I guess I'll pick Askren. But technically speaking, it's not even remotely close. Like, if this is a two-round fight, I'm picking Paul easily without question. But 
this is a fight that's going to require some heart. I also think, like, given what we saw in the press conference, I don't know if you saw any clips of that. Yep. Um, I, I feel like uh, I feel like it was like a child talking to a an adult with, yep. with like Paul looking like kind of an idiot, seeming very insecure, not being sure what to do. Asking at one point, literally pushed his face away, and all Paul like mustered up the guts to do was to slap him on his on his butt. Um, so that, that shows me that Askren probably has the mental edge. I think Paul's starting to realize that like he could be getting into deep water here. So to me, it all depends on his hip hips. If they're working, if they're functional, if he's not badly injured and he stays that way throughout the fight, he can win. But uh, if his chin is gone and his he's up there in age and he's out of shape, then he can definitely get knocked out early. Uh, I am picking Askren as well, buddy. We're on the same page there. That will do it for this episode. Nikolai, looking forward to connecting next week. I hope you I hope you play some catch up in the meantime. Oh, thanks for your fucking pity points, Nikolai, you know, maybe if you were nicer to me, uh, the MMA gods would give you better karma. Oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm super. Nice.